Hello and welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group, with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. So please like and subscribe, share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, during this new episode of Founder Series, I sat down with Tia Gordon, co-founder and COO at It's Electric, climate tech startup at the forefront of vehicular revolution, aiming to electrify our streets one curbside at a time. With a vision to proliferate adoption of electric vehicles or EVs across the US, It's Electric collaborates with property owners, offering them a chance to tap into a new stream of passive income while contributing to the environment. Tia is a New Yorker with a passion for the vibrating life of cities and the potential of technology within them. From laying down the foundations of public technology in transportation and museums to influencing policy for urban infrastructures, Tia has been recognized with prestigious awards. Her drive now is harnessing design to combat the climate crisis. In this episode, we will explore how charging solutions are currently deployed the market dynamics and regulatory impact, including the IRS world. Tune in as Tia shares the challenges and opportunities she perceives in the market and the unique narrative of its inceptions. From the tangible aspects of hardware and user experience to the overarching questions of smart charging and grid impact, Tia insights are set to charge up the conversation. Join us to understand how it's electric is selecting deployment sites, the economics of joining the network, and their business model quite unique, all in pursuit of an electrified sustainable future. During the second part of the talk, he shares advice on navigating investor relationships and facing the utility of trying to change hearts and minds of the skeptic. Instead, she advocates for aligning with those already on board with your vision. Tia also shares that by waking up early, she has uninterrupted time to focus, which helps her to achieve her goal and work-life balance. Tia, welcome to the show. Hi, Tia. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. 
I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about your exciting adventure with It's Electric, which is on a mission to bring curbside EV charging to cities across the US and advance the adoption of electric vehicles in the making. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be speaking with you. Finally, it's been a long time. Huh? We had a chance to uh, follow you guys at the earlier stage and uh, you guys are doing amazing progress. So uh, super happy to have you here with us. Maybe you can start with a 30 second introduction about It's Electric. Of course. So It's Electric is out to solve the biggest problems that cities face when they're trying to deploy public charging, especially in dense urban areas. So at a very high level, we are the only curbside charging provider in the world that is the behind the meter approach, meaning we avoid the biggest barrier, which is a connection or coordination with a utility, an electric utility. So by avoiding that, we can deploy chargers with speed and scale. Um, so that's really our largest differentiator. And then from there, we come at things 100% with design. We are design-centered focused to electric vehicle charging. We like to say that we get rid of the big, the bad, and the ugly, which is what we view as sort of the current dilemma happening inside electric vehicle charging here in this country. So we're really changing the game and we're excited to talk to you about it. Fantastic. So let's start from the top before we cover all of that. That is very exciting. We'd love to learn a bit more about uh, yourself. Yeah. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about your uh, personal story, your background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do besides uh, building its electric? I mean, as I always ask, who is Tia? Who is Tia? Tia is a New Yorker. Um, so at term reaching you today from Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I'm someone who loves cities. So anytime I travel, my favorite thing to do absolutely is just to take, it's so hard because my schedule is, is, is a little bit busy these days, but if I can just take even 10 minutes to walk around a city, it 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 fills my cup, if if you will. Um, I love the dynamics of cities. I love people. I love the energy that cities have. And so my background has always been in technology within cities. So a lot of the work that I've done is public facing technology, um, basically very, you know, if we go back in time before we all had smartphones in our pockets, I was building the tech and building the teams that was required to build large hardware and software interfaces in public spaces. So in train stations, in museums, in government buildings, all of these interfaces that we now take for granted 100%. I was there during basically the, the V0 and the V1 of all of these iterations of technology, um, starting with my work here in New York City and then expanding out to different states across the country. So maybe you mentioned a little bit about like your previous uh, work life, I would say, uh, experience and your, your passion for city. but. Maybe if you look back at this uh, this experience that you have, uh, could you maybe like share one or two uh, pieces of uh, experience that in a way gave you an edge to uh, to start its electric? And uh, if you didn't have it in a way uh, in the same journey, it would have been the same. So share share that with us. Absolutely. So its electric takes a design centered approach to electric vehicle charging, and so I'm very much an outsider in the world of EV charging, because I don't come from a background of energy. I don't come from a background of transportation or utility. I'm looking at this through an entirely separate lens of design. So what I did in my previous life was build public facing technology that's meant to be deployed 
in public space, in exterior environments, and to not fail. And one of the biggest barriers that we have in the United States right now for the adoption of electric vehicles is the lack of public charging, number one. And then for the public charging that we do have is consumer confidence. There's such negative experiences that are constantly logged day in and day out around using public charging in the United States. And so I wanted to use my background and my ability in hardware to reimagine what electric vehicle charging could look like in a city. So thanks for sharing that because I think it's uh, it's very interesting. But uh, looking back a little bit, now uh, you guys, I mean, with uh, it's electric, you're definitely like uh, 100% uh, focus. You know, the EV adoption and uh, pushing forward for this EV adoption. So trying to uh, contribute uh, into this massive problem that we have with uh, with climate change. So what have been your driver maybe to, to jump uh, into this uh, climate tech industry? I mean, any specific aha moment that uh, you can recall or would define as such? Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned before, I live in New York City. I've lived here for my whole life. And um, it was during the COVID pandemic um, when we were all here in New York and New York very much was sort of the ground zero for the US to experience COVID until it started to spread across the rest of the country. And it was a very difficult time to be a New Yorker. Um, this is coming from someone who's lived in New York through a lot of different difficult events such as 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy. Um, but COVID was incredibly challenging. There were ambulances that were going by uh, my apartment building every 30 seconds. There were temporary morgues that were being established um, on streets uh, to hold the number of bodies that were required. And it made me contemplate um, the world in which we lived in. And I started reading a lot about disaster management. And there's this concept in disaster management that I really gleaned onto um, by the works of a, an author named Juliet Kayyem. And she said that basically there's a concept called left of the boom. And the boom is the event or the disaster. And you can either be left of it and you can work to prevent it, or you can be right of it and you can work to clean up the mess after it's happened. And so given the tragedy of COVID in New York City, I came to the realization that the next big crisis in New York will be from climate. So what can we do to be left of that boom for climate to make a difference? So before we start uh, going into detail of uh, its electric, so I'd like to take the, this uh, zoom out and kind of understand the overall context uh, that you are surfing on. So let's try to get your overview of the EV charging market uh, in the uh, in the US uh, today. Uh, maybe we can start uh, to by framing like the the transportation. Uh, I would say the traditional personal transportation uh, problem and its contribution to uh, to uh, GSG emission. I mean. How far are we in terms of uh, decarbonizing that and how heavy it is uh, in terms of like uh, uh, the scale of emission that is still represented today in the, in the U.S.? Sure. So transportation accounts for one fifth of global carbon dioxide emissions. And I believe in the United States, we're about 30 percent for lightweight vehicles. Um, so we also have our larger UN goals. Um, the most immediate one is coming up in just about a year in 2025, where the goal is to cap all new greenhouse gas emissions. And how do we do that other than when, other than moving off of our reliance for fossil fuels in transportation? And that obviously is a direct line to electric vehicles. 
So for me, it's about how do we build a company that can help not only individual cities, but by reaction states and then the larger country that they sit inside race towards this goal. How do we help as many people as possible transition from burning fossil fuels for their transportation to using clean energy? And that's what we're looking to do. We built a system that allows us to deploy with what we say speed and scale so that we can actually have a chance of hitting some of these targets. So speaking about the, the EV uh, adoption rates uh, today, I mean, can you give us some, some figures around it? Like where are we at today? What's the, the projection that uh, is seen in different uh, different studies and uh, with the reality? I mean, and maybe tell us a bit more also about those uh, you know, customers who are the, the user profile today uh, that you have identified who are uh, actually moving to EV uh, or are looking to move to EVs? Sure. So right now in the United States, we have 3 million EVs on the road. And by 2030, all of the projections point to us having between 30 and 48 million EVs on the road. That's a, that's a growth rate of close to 43% year over year. That's massive. And so we need to build the infrastructure that's going to be required to charge these vehicles. Broad picture, most electric vehicle charging in the United States, 85% of it will happen at home. It's super easy if you have a garage or a driveway that's your personal garage or driveway that you purchase or lease an EV, you have an electrician come over, they install that charger, that's you know, a home charger right there. It's a very fast operation and it gives you such ease of EV ownership. It reduced your costs to power your EV by up to, I believe, 70% of what you're currently paying for traditional fuel sources for internal combustion engines. And it makes it just honestly easier than even having to leave the house to go to a gas station. You do all your charging at home. However, if you are one of 40 million Americans that do not have what's called dedicated off-street parking, meaning that garage or that driveway, owning an electric vehicle is a nightmare because there's nowhere to charge it. So why would you buy a vehicle that has no fuel source? However, when we have this network of chargers, it becomes no longer chicken or egg. It's like we, it's what we like to say is all egg. You walk out of your door, you see a prolific network of electric vehicle chargers. They show you the rates. They show you that owning this EV is going to cost your reduce your, your fuel costs by up to 60 or 70%. It makes it so much easier that the next time you're in the market for that EV, for, for your new vehicle to go electric. Also because the other barrier for adoption right now in the US is the cost of EVs. But the federal government just changed the subsidy so that no longer comes to you at your tax rebate, it comes to you at point of purchase at the retailer. So when you go to your dealership, it's $7,500 that you get right away off the price tag of that electric vehicle. So we are moving mountains right here in the United States and transition everyone into an electric vehicle. So let's double click on the, the charging station uh, in itself and, and that, that markets. I mean, if you can give to the audience like your overview of the different charging stations technology today and their penetration rates in the, uh, in the market uh, in itself. I mean, I think it's very important. We see all of those different uh, 
you know, charging station or most ugly <laughs> than uh, each other, big, large, bulky. Uh, tell us a bit more about like what is under those different, uh, you know, model and design uh, mm -hmm. for the audience to understand uh, where we are at. So right now in the United States, let's narrow that down a little bit smaller and say in New York City, where I'm calling you from today. Uh, for me to be able to charge an electric vehicle right now, I have a choice of going to a limited amount of public chargers in New York City, which New York City is doing an incredible job on trying to increase that number. They have 100 charge points right now in New York City. They want to get that to 10,000 by 2030 and possibly to 40,000 by 2050. So we have that roadmap for that density of chargers, but we don't have it right now. So for me right now, where I live in New York City, I would have to go to a private garage. I have a few options. First one is I go to a private garage. I pay between three and $800 a month for a parking spot. And then I pay a premium for that EV charging spot inside that garage. And then I pay for my energy on top of that. So right there, that's building a, a, a barrier of wealth in terms of equity. Not everyone, no one can afford to really do that. So the other option is public charging. So like I said, there's a limited amount of public chargers that are available in the US, sorry, in New York City right now. I'll say that again. There's a limited amount of public chargers available in New York City right now. So if you're lucky enough to be able to secure a spot at one of those, which is curbside, you're able to park and charge at a reasonable rate. However, they are not conveniently all located to where someone lives. So you're still having to go out and basically hunt for these chargers in other neighborhoods in which you live and not being necessarily assured that that charger is gonna be available or functioning when you get there. So what we need is to bring the same convenience to people who have garages, to people who live in cities where their garage is effectively the street. Because the other issue is that when we go to these other public chargers that are up there right now, as you said, they're big and they're bulky. They're about 13 feet tall, they're three feet wide, and they look like a gas pump. So no one wants something that looks like a gas pump on their residential block. So what then you experience in cities like New York is this expression called nimbyism, where people do not want this own this technology right in front of their buildings, because frankly, it's very ugly and it's very big. And it kind of ruins the beauty of living in a in, in a, on a residential tree-lined block in a city like Brooklyn. Um, so what we are doing at It's Electric is we are limiting all of that. So we have the very small, very small, very discreet design-focused chargers that are quite frankly so lovely that people are excited to see them come into their neighborhoods. Uh, we just won Fast Company's Innovation by Design Award. We beat Pepsi, we beat Nike for this accolade. And we did this all as a pre-seed company based on the nature and the quality of the design that we put forth. Speaking about the, I mean, those um, charging uh, device today, I mean, how is the, the market organized? I mean, who are the, the main players and, uh, and, and how uh, easy or difficult or challenging it is to penetrate that, uh, that market in itself? Well, fortunately, there's not too many people that are focused on curbside. It's a very small niche market, but at the same time, small is a, a market's share of, of um, you know, 40 million drivers with a potential sort of sum of, of $10 billion over the next 10 years. So it's not small when it comes to actual market opportunity for investment. And we are differentiating ourselves again, as I discussed before, in terms of design, in terms of the fact that we're behind the meter, 
and also by the fact, because I realize that you have an international audience with, with this podcast, that we are the only detachable cord solution available here in the United States. So detachable cord is really important for a number of reasons. Um, it keeps the cable off the street when the charger is not in use. So nothing looks like a gas pump. You just have a very clean bollard that sits there. Also, um, cables are the first component that breaks on a public charger of any kind of attached cable, whether it's standard, whether it's coiled, whether it's retractable, the cable is the first component that breaks. So by taking that off of the table, um, so to speak, we help maintain that charger uptime. So we're really looking at it from a variety of different perspectives, but in terms of market penetration, it's electric is the only curbside charging solution in the United States with a detachable cable. And we're the only public curbside charging system globally with revenue share because we pull power from buildings to power our chargers. That's how we avoid the utility. And because of that, we have the opportunity to then revenue share back to that building. So we're building in community consensus, both through the form factor, very small and discreet. And also because if someone wanted to see this come into their neighborhood, a lot of the times people who are not in the space of climate, who are not in the space of electrification, they will fairly ask, what's in this for me? And I can tell them that I can offset 80% of their annual electric bill just by putting this very small eight inch by eight inch square charger on their curbside. It's taller, but the actual physical dimensions are eight inches wide and long. So We'll go a little bit uh, deeper into uh, into the company and, uh, and and the charger in itself and the, the hardware device uh, a little bit later. But I like just to uh, before we we do that, uh, try to understand a little bit like the uh, the regulation uh, landscape. I mean, uh, how is New York City incentivizing what you guys do uh, and the you know the opening up of like more uh, charging solution uh, on the curbside and on the street and at the U.S. Uh, in general. Uh, is IRA really pushing uh, forward to that or only on the, uh, I would say, EV adoption, uh, you know, uh, rebate or discount that you can get from uh, at the dealership level, as you mentioned? Absolutely. So the U.S. is is pushing electric, electrification of transportation as a top priority. So within the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, which is part of the Biden administration's work to defeat the climate crisis, there's something called NEVI, which is um, Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. And of that NEVI uh, funding, it's $7 billion. Five billion of that is dedicated to your, 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 um, your highways. So there's a dedication to having a fast charger, a DCFC charger, every 50 miles across our interstate system here in the United States. But then the other 2.5 billion of that larger $7 billion pot is what's called the um, discretionary fund or the CFI, charging and fueling infrastructure. So that's 2.5 billion that's dedicated funding for urban and rural charging needs. So that's a huge opportunity for this country and for cities and for private companies to use headwinds of federal funding to help deploy chargers without having investors having to put as much into these companies because of the fact that all this non-dilutive capital will help support these companies reduce their capex and deployment. So of that 2.5 billion that's discretionary, private companies can't apply for it directly. Cities have to do apply for it and they can bring in private partners or they can do a standard procurement process once they're awarded. So that's what's happening right now. Those applications opened in the spring of this year. They closed, uh, I believe, mid-summer. 
And we're hearing that those awards will start to begin to roll out a little bit faster as we get closer into the fall and early winter here in the United States. Some of those funds uh, have been deployed and you can uh, read about them online and we're still waiting for other funds to be awarded as well. And it's a very exciting time. This is a once in a lifetime energy transition that's being led by the Biden administration and that's going to completely transform the way that we travel, the way that we work, the way that we fuel, quote unquote, our vehicles here in the United States. So let's go deeper into uh, it's electric. I mean, you mentioned already a bit like the, the story behind it, uh, but uh, maybe can you tell us a bit more about like uh, how did you guys, uh, you know, start it with your with your co-founder? What was the uh, original like story behind it? I mean, besides the whole uh, uh, COVID, uh, you know, uh, in a way, uh, initiatives and, and and this whole pain that you felt during that uh, that time. Uh, and how did you move on into this uh, this hardware uh, in itself? I mean, how did you build your, this uh, first prototype? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, my background is design and technology. My co-founder, Nathan King, his background is architecture and engineering. So it's really putting these four skill sets together which really helped build the foundation of what the company was in terms of value, in terms of skill set, experience, everything that helped us move as quickly and as, and, and as robustly as we have into this brand new territory. Um, the story that we talked about was really about COVID as the impetus to start to find a solution around just general climate-based problems that we could bring a special lens to, to help cities overcome. We chose electric vehicle charging because we came up with a solution that we didn't see anyone else doing. And now 20 months later, we're still not seeing anyone else doing this. We will be the first with this solution. We won't be the last. We'll definitely have copycats coming after us. But again, this is a huge opportunity for us to find a way to bring charging to cities. Um, we we just uh, were awarded um, something called the City Solution of the Year from an organization called Leading Cities. Um, and it's amazing because this is people that were judging us from the World Economic Forum, from the Earthshot Prize, um, from Leading Cities, um, and from the African-American Mayors Association. So all of these different groups are kind of evaluating what is the biggest benefit in terms of climate between all of these different groups we are competing against to make a real impact in cities? And that's why this is so important to us because insufficient EV infrastructure is a major hurdle for anyone achieving an environmental goal. You can't set an ESG goal and then not include EV infrastructure in it because as I said earlier, of the amount of GHG that transportation takes up. And so for us, um, we feel that our solution and, and this award agrees has the potential to literally transform cities when we think of a city, and this goes back to your question about what brought on the original idea for its electric. And if you look at our website and you scroll down on the homepage, you'll see this sort of big graphic that has um, a, um, a shape of a city above and then below this sort of big rainbow connection, which is definitely a Muppets reference for anyone who's curious out there. Um, and the idea here is that, you know, cities are full of energy both literally and metaphorically. It is the energy of the people. It is the energy of constant motion, of constant movement, of transportation, of people moving and of the work that they're doing. And so It's Electric at its core wanted to kind of embrace the energy of cities and then bring that to be a benefit for cities. 
And that's where the idea came from, was that we have the energy that's needed in every single building to power a charger. So for us, every other company that faces a barrier in deploying EV charging in cities because of the difficulty of connecting to utility, for us, cities are our benefit. Because when we look at a city, every building is an electric vehicle charger. And that's really where we come at this from a different position and kind of restate and reframe the entire problem. So double clicking on the uh, hardware side, uh, could you share maybe as you know, it's, uh, most of the audience is going through uh, using only the voice, could you maybe describe us like how uh, your uh, electric station or charging uh, station looks like, uh, what is inside uh, and what is like the, do you have any like a smart monitoring uh, in there? I mean, can you walk us through a little bit like the, Uh, the actual, uh, you know, it's not a prototype anymore, but at least the actual like uh, post in itself. How does it work? And uh, uh, let us visualize uh, the whole product in itself. Sure, of course. Um, by all means, please go to our website and go on the FAQ page and you can see images of our market ready product. Um, but I will describe it for you in the meantime, in that it is a bollard style charger, same as that you would see in the EU and the UK but it has a, a definite bend on being designed for deployment uh, in, in cities like New York, Boston, Chicago, DC, LA. Um, it is designed to be rugged and to last on city streets, but is also a really beautiful piece of street furniture. It's something that you'd like to see on your street. It's also been stripped of everything that can possibly break on a charger. This is my contribution. Everything that can break has been taken off. The only thing that remains is a universal socket and an RFID so that you can activate your charge with just a swipe of a card if you don't want to use your phone to activate your app. So these chargers sit without any, without any attached cables on curbside. A driver pulls up, takes their detachable cable, which is right now it's electric provides, but ultimately will be provided by vehicle OEMs to the drivers. Parks plugs the cable in, activates their charge, is able to fill their entire battery on a level two charge, which is 7.5 kilowatts, 25 miles per hour of charge, standard level two, which is what the US wants to see 80% of public chargers as level two, not level three. And then that whole experience costs them around $20, you know, basically a quarter of what it costs to fill a gas tank right now. With that, we're revenue sharing to the building that's supplying that power. So it's a win-win-win. I failed to mention this earlier, but we're also free to cities. We're free to building owners. So drivers get to convert to EV and they get to conveniently charge on the blocks where they live. Building owners on this block get passive income every month for nothing, just by hosting this little tiny square on their curb, which otherwise they could not monetize in any way, shape or form. And cities get to meet their, electric their electrification plans by deploying electric vehicle charging at no cost to them. If you compare us against hardware as a service models, whereas those hardware pieces are being sold to cities, let's say for example, we look at the least expensive charger that's out from a competitor, which is $2,800 for a pedestal single port charger. If they wanted to purchase 100 of those, that's $280,000 outlay that that city has to come up with right away. That doesn't include installation, that doesn't include maintenance. Compare that to its electric, which is 100% free hardware, installation, maintenance. And this is possible because of the way that we've designed our chargers, the way that we've pushed to bring our unit economics down so low 
that we can offer this as a free amenity to cities to again, go back to our core value number one, which is accelerating the adoption of electric vehicles in this country to help prevent the next climate crisis. So I am a building owner. I have a curb in front of my uh, my building. Uh, how can I, uh, you know, get uh, it's electric in front of my door? What are the regulations that I need to comply? Where do I need to uh, get uh, the permit? Uh, and how long does it take for you guys to come and uh, install it? Great. So first thing you want to do is go to our website, itselectric.us. Scroll down, scroll in the menu to join and sign up for our wait list. We have a wait list of over 1,000 properties right now across the United States. Uh, we are focused on U.S. deployment right now, but of course, by all means, if you're international, please sign up. We look to expand in the future. Um, and then what happens there is we have to work top down, bottom up. So you're our property owner, you're our, you're our, you're our grass tops. So we get you, you're registered, you're in our system. We then work to make sure that your city has a permitting process in place. And with that permitting process in place, we then can then deploy a charger in front of your building in a timeline of two days. We pull all the permits. We do all the necessary work. The only thing we have to do with you directly is to have one day access to your building to inspect your electrical panel to ensure there's the right capacity. Once we do that, it's the two day installation. And then at any time, you know, if you choose in the future, you do not want this anymore, we can come and remove this. So it's a very seamless process. We're trying to remove every identifiable pain point that we currently witness in the deployment of EV charging here in the United States. Did so, that answer everything or did I miss something there? No, I think it's very interesting. I just would like to double click a little bit on the on the local uh, regulation uh, in itself. So uh, how are the, you know, the, the regulator receiving your project and uh, uh, what are the, the, the barriers that uh, they seem to change in terms of regulation? Is that something that they are used to? I mean, you guys are focusing now on the uh, New York market. Uh, are they all the regulation in place already to facilitate uh, what you do? Uh, is it a city by city or county by county uh, type of regulation? Uh, tell us a bit more about this uh, whole regulatory framework there. Sure. So, you know, we are not interested in trying to convert the minds of cities that don't want curbside charging. Cities have a clear understanding of what they want. And so we're working with cities that have already decided that curbside charging is the right solution for them. And now there it's a question of which is the right vendor for them to work with. Um, and those cities are ones that already have the right regulatory framework in mind. They know their process for a revocable permit or a revocable consent pathway for the installation of these chargers. They have already a local law on the books, for example, New York, LA, DC, they already have the law on the books in many cases, sometimes for almost five or six years now that any place where an electric vehicle charger is placed on curbside, that spot next to that charger is dedicated for electric vehicles to charge. So this is critical because we can't just put curbers, chargers on curbside and then expect that that spot just remains open. They have to be demarcated through signage or through street painting that these are EV charging spots. So for us, we're working with cities that are having this progressive mindset that are working um, in a way to already have the pieces of the puzzle determined on their side. And then we can kind of come in and be their provider. Or in many cases, we work with cities as partners. 
They're trying to understand, for example, where demand might be the greatest, not only for um, private vehicles, but also for rideshare and taxi, where these drivers take their vehicles home at night and need local charging solutions. So we can help to do a lot of that urban planning, a lot of that strategy work in terms of where chargers can be deployed, where we're not getting in the way, for example, of loading zones, where we're not getting in the way in terms of commercial corridors, bike lanes. All of these considerations need to be taken into mind when you're thinking about citing curbside charging. There's a lot of complexity. Um, use of curb is very, um, everyone wants curb space in, in cities. And so you really need to be judicious about where you can deploy, where it's gonna be most advantageous to those people in those neighborhoods and where it's not gonna create any conflicts. And so we work to kind of look at that holistically. It's Electric is different, again, from a transportation company or from an energy company, because we are we are all urbanists. We come from urban planning. We come from urban work, urban deployment, that we understand these complexities. We understand all the stakeholders are at play, and we help to make their jobs easier, we hope, in the way that we deploy. Oh. Let's work for them. <laughs> Then I guess uh, I mean it's never never uh, an easy uh, and a straight uh, straight road when you have to uh, to deal with local regulation even if they're like uh, open to it it's always like uh, you know moving towards uh, uh, a new situation a new normal uh, it's always a, a challenge so congrats on uh, all the uh, the effort and uh, that you guys are putting there so looking at the the current and expected uh, economics of uh, it's electric I mean. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this uh, this business model uh, that uh, that you have? I think it's very uh, interesting to uh, uh, allow uh, the, the landlords or the landowners or the, the building owners to have uh, uh, access to this uh, revenue sharing system that you have. Uh, so if you can tell us a bit more about like what are the uh, you know the percentage and like how, how much can you expect uh, on a monthly uh, a monthly basis. And on the other side, I'd love to understand a bit more about like uh, the financing aspect of uh, all of those uh, charging stations, because you're mentioning that uh, it costs uh, zero for the city. So uh, who is paying for those uh, charging stations up front? What is the model that uh, you guys have there? Of course. So it's electric pays for all costs. This is part of our business model. Um, and then we are doing a 20% top line revenue share with each of our property owners. And that's going to be based on utilization. So if no one uses that charger ever, then obviously there's no revenue to share. But if we have 40% utilization, let's say, for example, that one or two family house that we're in front of is earning around $1,600 per year, around 80% of their annual electric bill. If we have 65% utilization, that earning can go up to around $3,000 per year. These are big numbers for working class families and neighborhoods that are currently not only transit deserts, but charging deserts. And this is a big differentiator for us and everyone else out there that is really just kind of dropping hardware and walking away. We work with communities to understand where this hardware is desired, where it creates a benefit for the city and where we can bring money into communities as well, which is honestly, you know, people's pockets often become the bottom line decisions. And the more we can help bring the green of the green economy into communities, the better everyone is. It shouldn't just be sort of the top level people that are receiving the benefits of all of these subsidies that are coming from federal governments. How do we take that federal subsidy? How do we turn that into a product? How do we deploy that product using the headwinds of the federal funding, but then make sure that it actually also impacts people? And that's what we're looking to do. 
So financing it, uh, I mean, you mentioned yourself, uh, we finance everything, but uh, with the money that you have from investors or do you collaborate with banks or like, uh, what is the, the the flow behind that? Like, how do you, uh, uh, and how do you plan to finance at scale? I would say all of those uh, in outdoor installation. Absolutely. So our complex, our, our capital stack is not simple. It's complex. And we treat each city discreetly. So the funding that we get for city A that helps us do this at no cost is completely different than the way that we go about it for funding for cities B and C and D. So as I mentioned earlier, a lot of federal funding is helping to offset all CapEx. And so that's key. We also have uh, in many cities here in the United States, there's something called a make ready program where the utility. So for example, Con Ed here in New York City, they pay back up to, I believe, 80 to 90% of the subgrade costs of installation. And so we receive funding back from utility for the work that we do. So we have, again, federal funding opportunities, state utility subsidies. We have the, the opportunity to pull that in to offset our CapEx. And the venture we raise purely supports our OpEx, purely supports us growing our team to be able to expand the borders under which we can deploy. Right now we're confined um, only by the scale of our team. We're currently raising our seed round to be able to extend the abilities of our team to be able to triple the amount of cities that we're in by the end of 2025. So for us, it's really balancing these different capital stacks. And again, even without these subsidies, our business model works based on the very low cost of our unit economics. We have a 12 month payback on one of our chargers based on around 40% utilization. So once that payback is complete, we're just producing revenue. We're taking that revenue, we're reinvesting it back into the company to help expansion and growth. Um, last question on the economic side of it. Uh, I'd like to understand, like, how do you manage like the fluctuation in your own pricing model? With um, you know, when you are like giving back to the uh, to the to the landlord who's this twenty percent revenue share. I mean, how do you price uh, the utilization of your uh, charging station, taking into account of the fluctuation of the electricity and utilities, uh, you know, uh, market in itself? Because at the end of the day. Who's paying the first bill? I believe it's the landlord or like- uh, Oh, interesting. Okay, no, no. We actually have a submeter that we install in each of our installations. So we have the hardware unit that sits on street. Mm -hmm. And then we have on the electric panel inside the building, a very small submeter that separately monitors the electrical use of the EV charger and we pay that bill directly. That building does not have to outlay costs for energy, nor do they have to deal with any sort of demand response costs. We would endure the impacts of that through load management and the way that we work our software to be able to mitigate this. So this is how we work to make sure that we have a strong partnership with property owners and that there's no uh, economic detriment to their participation. There's only benefit. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And on the pricing itself for the uh, the, the use yeah. of the charger, like, uh, do you have a dynamic uh, pricing model or is it something like at this stage still fixed? Uh, but then how do you compensate like fluctuation of the energy market in itself? Exactly. So the way that it works is that our model is based on an upcharge on the base rate that that consumer pays. So if that consumer pays an 18 cents base rate, we have a markup that brings it to around 30 cents per kilowatt hour. That's our profit. That's also what we revenue share back to. That allows the consumer, i.e. the driver, to still charge for less than it would cost them to go to a destination charger, let's say a DC fast charger, uh, five or 10 miles away. It's convenient, it's less cost, and it again, it protects the um, capacity of the grid. This is critical. Uh, we didn't get to go this deep into it, but a DCFC station, whereas there's absolutely a need for it when you're doing long range driving, when you're going from state to state here in the United States, you need that DCFC to get you, get you quickly back on the road in you know 40 to 70 minutes. But for every other sort of, I want to call it just your general everyday driving needs, an overnight charge is the correct pathway for electric vehicle charging for domestic needs in the country. Um, it allows you to basically come home at the end of your day, you plug in your, your car, you wake up, you have that full battery. Um, this is critical because it, again, is a convenience factor, but it also keeps the costs lower for the consumer. So that's how we compete against DCFC costs, but also we can also deploy with, with scale. A DCFC four-stall station in a city like New York uses as much energy as a 300 unit apartment building. So the timeline to get the permits, to put in the transformers that are needed for just four stalls of DCFC charging, we can deploy 400 chargers for that same effort and bring so much more charging to so many more people at lower how cost. Are you, how are you planning to uh, to scale your operation? I mean, what are the the steps, the, the the different steps uh, to achieve it? I mean, what needs to happen, uh, and what's next for uh, electric after closing your seed round? Um, well, we're not stopping any of our innovation while we're raising. Um, we're raising while we're working. Um, we are currently deploying chargers in Detroit. Uh, we have a roadmap of three major cities after that where the groundwork has been laid for our work there. And again, this comes through the capital stack that we've organized with each specific locality. Um, and what's next from us is more innovation. So for example, we mentioned the fact that we're a detachable cable solution in the US, but we're also changing the game in terms of design for cables. Right now, our cable is the same one that you would get in the EU or the UK. It's fine, it's small, but it's not very pretty. Um, it's not very cool. Um, so we're designing new cables. This is a B2C opportunity as well for us here in the US. Um, people have joked with me and I've, I've actually taken it to heart that we should have Mattel, which is a toy company here in the United States, work with us because if you hadn't seen the film Barbie, all of the vehicles in Barbie are electric. So why not have Barbie pink cables, one of our amenities that we can give to consumers. There's so many different ways to bring fun into a clean energy transition. Um, not everyone has to kind of be this sort of tech bro heavy vibe, nor do they have to be this sort of, you know, like deep um, utility vibe. Um, there's a whole new way to look at transition to electrification. So 
I would underscore that what's next for its electric is our innovation roadmap. So we have cable, we have V to X, we have micro mobility support so that our chargers can also charge e-bikes. There's a lot of opportunity that happens once you bring that power to the curb. Um, we're really excited. We're working with some cities in terms of civic IoT. So just being able to lease space inside of our chargers for sensing, for flood detection, for pedestrian volume. There's so many different things you can do once that energy comes out of that building and is sitting on curbside. And so we really see ourselves not only as EV charging, but as urban infrastructure. The same way that we have fire hydrants on every block, we have electrical ports on every block and it just makes sense. Last question on uh, on my side. Um, in terms of uh, production, I mean, are you planning to produce those um, um, charging station uh, locally here in the in the US, or is it uh, you you know you have like uh, factories and opportunities to uh, to build uh, them uh, abroad? What is your uh, what is your flow there in terms of like uh, you know moving into a city and potentially put uh, hundreds of of them? Uh, I guess you don't do that in your uh, small workshop uh, in the backyard uh, somewhere else. But uh, what is the, the strategy for you guys uh, when you're scaling faster to deliver those? Uh, Actually, we're, we're, we're a company that's focused on U.S. electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And therefore, we are Buy America, Build America. We manufacture 100% here in the United States. We manufacture in the Northeast right now. We are looking to then also bring manufacturing opportunity uh, to the Midwest and to the West Coast. Uh, we were just accepted into the Los Angeles clean tech incubator, Lacey. So we're going to start to work on our bi-coastal arrangements right now, not only being here in New York, but also being out West. Uh, and again, that, that doesn't mean that we're just out there selling. We are out there building coalitions. We're out there doing workforce development. We're out there doing manufacturing. This is the ecosystem that we're bringing to every place in which we deploy to help build new jobs in the green economy, to help bring benefits to communities in the green economy. And so this is the way that we begin to work. We are not manufacturing overseas. We continue to push the agenda to make sure that we are fully buy America, build America for the products that we're being, that we're making. Are you planning you guys to have your own uh, manufacturing facilities or you're always like outsourcing and working with, uh, I would say more uh, regional partners? I know we 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 have designed for manufacturing packages. Um, we've de we've de-risked ourselves as a startup. By not manufacturing our own materials, we work with existing, well-tested manufacturers um, that we can fully rely upon as we guide that manufacturing process with them. We own all the IP, of course. This is our product. We give them the design for manufacturing package and they execute for us. Um, what was the other question? Can you remind me of that? Also, my, my, my question was really try to understand this whole uh, logistic chain in terms of like being able to at scale, uh, deliver fast uh, the different uh, charging station that uh, um, in the different uh, cities and market that you are going after in the US. But I think you answer to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, again, for, for deployment in the US, we manufacture in the US, we build workforce in the US. When we start to look at overseas and international markets, we will look, work to then expand in those capacities. But for right now, you know, and this all really started with even the most basic tenant. Like if we're going to be installing in Detroit, does it make sense for us to manufacture in New York and then to drive these chargers for three days in a truck across state lines? 
No, we want to build locally to the local to localities in which we serve. What is your personal opinion on the climate crisis? I mean, uh, what would you say to people who feel demoralized by uh, all the already visible consequences of uh, climate change? It's something that I asked to uh, all of my guests here. I mean, are we doomed? I was just reading a portion of a book. I will never say that I have the luxury of reading an actual book these days because time is so limited with everything we have going on. But uh, it was an amazing book that was titled The Heat Will Kill You First. And it discussed how even these smaller incremental jumps that we're seeing in terms of heat indexes here in the United States. So for example, in California, uh, an average summer day in June or July, I think 10 years ago was around 100 degrees. Now it's 107. Don't quote me on the exact numbers. Please refer to the book, The Heat Will Kill You First. But it's about how even those small, what seem like small increments will actually have fatal consequences for Americans here in the US, for people overseas. And so my conviction is that this is our shot right now in this time that we're in. We also are very lucky here in the United States right now to have those in positions of power on both city, state, and federal levels, understand the gravity of the climate crisis. We are not in a position where we have administrations that deny this. That may change with the 2024 election. We all know what's ahead of us. So we have to seize every opportunity we have now to make a difference and to not just basically go quietly into an ill-fated future. How can our listeners, uh, founders, investors, experts on the world listening to the show can uh, help you today? Of course. Um, anyone who's looking to bring electric vehicle charging to the cities, to the blocks that they live or that they love, please sign up for our waitlist. Please share our waitlist. We use this information. We heat map all of our signups. We share this data back with cities that we're working with. Investors that are interested in working with what I feel is a game-changing company that's incredibly driven and has moved faster than most other climate tech companies in this space that want to get in early with us. We are raising our seed round right now. Please contact me. Um, I'm sure that my email will be in the show notes. And if not, it's T-I-Y-A at itselectric.us. And for anyone else that's just generally listening, generally interested in what we're doing, um, we try and keep everyone posted on all of the good stuff on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Please follow us there. Um, and also through mediums like this, thank you so much because it's without, it's without Tech for Climate Tech and other podcasts that help get the message out uh, that we wouldn't be able to communicate the story. So I'm so grateful to be here and to have been able to share this with you. And these are great questions. So thank you. Any question I should have asked you I didn't do for this uh, first part of the show? No, I, th I feel pretty well covered. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm pretty good. If I think of anything, I'll, I'll shoot you a note. But we talked about all my favorite things. So this was great. Thank you so much, uh, Tia, for your time, your incredible insight in the industry and all the hard work that uh, that you do every day and early in the morning as well to make this world a, a better place. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. 
Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more climate tech insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And see you next time. 